0: Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of The Verge. Today we have Stacy Olinger with us and she is a seasoned executive in the value-based and post-acute space. Thank you, Stacy, for joining us today. Thank you so much, Rebecca. It's awesome to be on your podcast today. It's awesome to have you. We are both uh, brought together, I think, by Chief, yes. uh, the women's uh, community that brings together executives. So it's uh, so good to have that with us and and get to partner with you. Can you tell us a little bit about um, your background and and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, I'd love
1: to. Yeah, Chief is a fantastic organization and um, is connecting many women leaders and empowering us to be our very best. I um, started out actually um, in organic chemistry lab in Montana State University watching chemicals turn from orange to green and I said, I cannot do this with my life. What do I really want to do next? And ended up choosing the profession of nursing because I wanted to make a difference and the lives of people and while i went to nursing school and um, i transferred to university of alaska anchorage i had an, um, a really pivotal moment when i was uh, working as a home health aide i would i was driving out um, into rural uh, alaska and to a uh, to a woman's house uh, which was a cabin in the middle of the woods without any type of you know there's no road signs there's no paved roads um, and I had the opportunity to give her a bath with water that I heated on her, water, her wooden stove. And I think for me, that was a moment where I realized that healthcare is deeply personal. And it, what's important to people is that they're able to live out the length of the days with what matters most. And that really sealed my love for home health care and I think really changed the trajectory of um, really where, where it's been in the last 20 years. And so. After graduating from nursing school, um, moved pretty quickly into management and um, had the opportunity to help to work in both community and academic medical centers, um, growing um, the center of healthcare being home and helping to build clinical models of care, introducing technology and billing really amazing teams to um, continue to innovate and bring the future of healthcare home.
0: You come, uh, you know, with a clinical background and everything that comes with it. How has that um, sort of helped your career in becoming a seasoned executive? And um, do you feel you, you bring something extra to the table? I mean, I know you do, but what do you feel like, it, you know, bringing that to the table um, offers? Yeah, I,
1: I always say that you cannot take the heart of the nurse out of me. And anybody who's gotten close in proximity to me will tell well, tell me. In fact, I actually had somebody tell me yesterday, like, the more that I've gotten to know you, I understand how caring you are, and I understand how much it's about the patient. And I think if, for me, you, you can't take that out of anything that I think about. So, you know, I really think through the lens of human-centered design um, and really think through the lens of what is important to individuals and always making it about the patient. In fact, in my career, the greatest compliment that I've received is that I've made it about the patient. And I think that's partly comes from that, you know, being in healthcare and being really close, and, um, and that you you can't take that out. And you just can't. I, I can't separate. <laughs> I can't separate that from myself. I always see things through the lens of uh, my nursing background.
0: So when you were younger, growing up, did you always want to be a nurse, or was that something that came on later in life? No,
1: I think so. I um, I am type A um, <laughs> to the core. And so I always wanted to do just what was the most difficult thing to do, whatever was uh, excited me in curiosity. I was always interested in science and originally thought I was going to be a chemical engineer or a biomedical engineer. And um, and I think that was that moment in organic chemistry lab that I had where I realized I really didn't want to do that. What I really wanted to do was make an impact in the lives of people and um, and really in particular in the lives of women. And I think so that, um, no, I didn't always want to be a nurse. I'm actually the um, first generation um, graduate from college. Um, my family um, did not go to college. They didn't have a healthcare background. So I'm not one of those that, um, you know, has had a lineage of, of nurses in my family.
0: And, and what brought you into the uh, post-acute space? Was it like a family member that drove you there? Did you just end up there? If like for me, you know, when I graduated college, if you told me I was gonna be in healthcare IT, I probably would have left. You know, I always thought I was gonna have a job in in travel. And so did you uh, always sort of have your eye on the post-acute space or did you follow? I did it, fall into it. No, like I did. Always,
1: um, when I was going through nursing school, I think I had this vision of what would a community be like if you could improve the health of the community. And so originally, I was focused a little bit more on public health. Um, but as I kind of went through my nursing training program and had more experience, I realized that I had a huge passion for education. And recognizing that to be able to take care of yourself and your family at home, you need to know the basics of how to do that. Just like you need to know the basics of how to drive a car. If you want to get from point A to point B and you have a car, you need to know how to drive it. You need to know how it works. And so I think that is um, what it kind of really moved me towards the home care route. And, again, I think in my early experience as a home health aide um, when I was going through nursing school, I think in really being able to see that health care is delivered in and exists in the home. It doesn't exist in the four walls of the hospital. Really exists in home, and so I think that's what continued to drive me towards the home care space. And I'm always also somebody who skates where the puck is going, like Wayne Gretzky said. And so I knew that that's where the that healthcare future was going. And so I have always wanted to be on the leading or bleeding edge of where healthcare is going, and that's also what has kept me in the home care space.
0: It's so coming your way. I feel like um, like the. The home health post-acute is, wave is, is only beginning with all of the EHRs, you know, mostly done in hospitals and in the ambulatory side. I feel like we're getting that kind of settled. The, you know, there's still a lot to do. But now it's it's more how are we going to keep people at home and, um, you know, deal with the older generations and the baby boomers? And so with that said, what are you all doing at BJ, BJC to help move that needle along.
1: Yeah, I think one of the things that we're doing that's so very important is we're helping people identify what's important to them. Um, you know, so many times we, as um, you know, we, we approach providers or we, we get on the medical train and we say well, we can do this and we can do this and we should do this and we should do this, but nobody ever stops to ask what's important. And when you have the opportunity to stop to ask what's important, then it really helps to align the care and the care team around the patient and their loved ones. And so by doing that, we're better able to identify. So that's number one, getting them connected into primary care and making sure that they have an established relationship. Um, but it's also around um, really advancing care, you know, with advanced care planning. Uh, if you don't know what's really important to you and you don't understand what's going on with your physical condition, it's really difficult to um, know whether or not the best place for you is at home or in a facility or uh, an acute stay in a hospital. And so... I think when we do more of that, when we understand what's important, then we're better able to translate um, what is needed at that very moment, and then the best getting the the right care to the right patient at the right time at the right place. And so, some of what we're doing is uh, really doubling down on our efforts with palliative care and growing and scaling our palliative care teams, both on the inpatient and in the home-based side. And leveraging uh, with Epic, we're leveraging machine learning to better identify and assist providers in identifying. Who is appropriate for those conversations, especially if they have a high likelihood of having a 30-day mortality? If you had 30 days left to live, wouldn't you want somebody to stop and ask what was important for you in the last month of life? And I think that's the gift that we have and the opportunity we have um, so that everyone is able to chart their own path. Most, most patients, when asked, want to spend their last days at home. They don't want to spend their last days in the ICU. Um, but currently, we don't always have the technology or the signaling to be able to have those conversations at the right time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. My grandma's about to be 93. And and although she did call me 12 times today because I didn't pick up the phone, I was on another call. And then when I called her back, she um, she then proceeded to tell me that there was a spider in her house. And this is an apartment off my aunt's you know house that she lives in. And, and um, there's lots of spiders, but this isn't my permanent home is what she told me. I'm like, really, grandma? Like, What's your permanent home? She's like, well, I don't know, but I will die sometime. And I'm like, Oh my God, <laughs> she's such a spitfire. <laughs> so with, with, with that story and the older you know generations that, you know, we help take care of, I call my mima probably almost every yeah. day. Um, what, what are the ways that we're helping to communicate with family members, you know, in terms of you have the, you know, like my mima, but she goes into the hospital. And and so what are you guys using for IT solutions to communicate and keep the family members informed? Because, you know, my mima will forget, you know, what the provider said to her 30 seconds later right now. Mm-hmm. Bless her heart. But <laughs> yeah. um, what, what do you see being
1: Yeah, I, I appreciate <laughs> you calling that out because so many times it's actually not about when we talk about the patient. That's why I always say they're a loved one. It's not always their spouse. Um, It can be whoever that they call several times a day. And that could be a neighbor. It could be a granddaughter. It could be their spouse. It's whoever they identify as the person most important to them. And and with that, you need that social interaction is actually also what keeps, you know, individuals healthy and helps in recovery. I mean, there's great data that, you know, supports that. And so there actually is technology that's helping to do those connections, um, whether it be through virtual care or through other social Mm -hmm. platforms that are helping to innovate in the market. Yeah, you know, I think we've done many advances with um, Epic and Care Companion and other in my chart and ways that we can connect the care team with proxies and those that are um, with the care. But also I think that's where you've seen remote monitoring really help to be that extra bridge in between um, the care team. And the care team, I will say, is more broadly. That's the providers or the clinical trained professionals. And then it's also the patient's um, designated loved one who they want to care for them. And being able to actually connect everyone um, with one communication. I think there's a lot of opportunity in this space as well um, that we have to innovate and to do things better and to make things visible. I think one of the biggest gaps that we have right now is that the information isn't always available to the right person at the right time. So you may have had a and with your MEMO had a really great conversation with the primary care physician. But then, when they have an encounter with a specialist, or maybe they have a uh, you know an ER visit, that information that was exchanged isn't always readily available. It's becoming increasingly so, but we still have a long way to go. So, you know, I think both you and I have been in healthcare long enough to see the transition and the change, and we felt the difference. But we still are on this journey and have um, a
0: long way to go. Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely think of again, my, you know, picking on my poor Mima who's in Tennessee, but her. S- her, you know, sons and daughters are all over the country. And so how do we get them all that information from the primary care doctor? Um, and so it's not like that telephone game of, you know, as it gets worse throughout the, the telephone, the chains of telephone calls, and they can actually just look online and be able to see it. And, and I know it's happening out there to some, you know, to some proportion, but I think that we still have such a long way to go in this particular space of the digital health movement. Um, I just want it to happen. Quickly. Yeah.
1: And I think you're seeing sparks of <laughs> in this innovation. And I think that's where our palliative care teams are really helping to bridge the gap. So they'll, you'll have a provider or a provider or a team. They'll have a nurse and a social worker and the provider get on the phone call with with, and that's what virtual technology now enables us. We're able to get on a um, HIPAA secured video call with with everyone, whether they live on the East Coast or the West Coast, and the patient. Everyone's able to get on the same page at once, and that has been a huge game changer. Um, so that we don't have a telephone, or as a you know, a patient's condition changes from hour to hour, day over day, everyone's getting a different story, and then that's sometimes what that's the confusion.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we've talked a lot about what you're doing now. But let's talk about your new adventure that you're going to be going on here, you know, very soon. Tell us about what you're going to be starting here in the next couple. Yeah, weeks.
1: so I'm super excited. I think one of the things that I, um, I, I am passionate about identifying what's most important to individuals and organizations and having them reach their best potential. And I, through my experience of being in both uh, community hospitals and large academic medical centers and and post-acute areas, also individual um, privately owned um, home health and hospice organizations, I have a unique background and um, not only being a clinician, I have been a chief nursing officer. And so I am able to speak to the nurses, but also be able to speak to the CMOs and the, the chief medical officers and the chief nursing officers and the CEOs. Um, but also have a strong operational skill set. So being trained in Japan with the Toyota production system, I understand how to um, implement high reliability systems and sustain change for good and uh, and have a technical expertise with the n- numerous num- numbers of remote monitoring and electronic health uh, implementations and expansions into virtual care. And so having it, this, um, Uh, I would call myself a unicorn and being able to have all of those different aspects. I really want to increase um, access for patients who do need um, and organizations who need care at home. And so I'll be working with health systems and home care agencies, also vendors and suppliers who are working with those individuals to help them to understand how to put together playbooks, how to understand how to take what they already have and then continue to look at new and novel ways to expand care at home. And I think another emerging area that I'm really excited about getting into is reducing the burden of whether it be the electronic health record or even adding in the adoption of AI so that we can bring the joy back to the clinical work and uh, being able to understand what that looks like from a strategy perspective, but also clinical implementation. And so I want to take what all of my experience for all my years and what I'm passionate about and actually release that more into the world. And that's what I'm about ready to get ready to do.
0: Yeah. And having that clinical experience and nursing experience coming up through the ranks, as you will, to be able to bridge that gap, uh, you'll be so impactful in doing so. Um, so I want to, you know, you've talked a lot about women. We're both members of, of Chief What are you doing today to support women and maybe mentor women or, you know, bring them along so that they are going to be the best leaders that they can be in the future as well?
1: Some of how I support women right now is just by being who I am. I think I had, I finally got to the point that I recognized that being my very best self is inspiring to others. And and so some of what I'm doing now is actually by understanding my why and what my dream and my vision is and following that is supporting other women to believe that they have a why within them. They are created and and have a calling and can impact the world, and they need to do that. And supporting them by identifying those limiting beliefs and and journeying with them through the process and through my learnings and all my stumbles and and sharing that and journeying together with um, and encouraging them that, well, certainly I can do it, they can do it too. Uh, I also spend some time sponsoring um, uh, women um, in organizations, right? You know, there many times it's um, helping them to understand how to, how to either have a network or to introduce them to others to help to expand their network and to sponsor them into new leadership roles. And then mentoring um, newly tenured leaders is where I spend most of my time helping to support women leaders. I love the journey.
0: I love it. As you know, I'm all about supporting women leaders and helping them through the ranks. So we're both very passionate about that. Um, switching gears over to unrelated work. What are you passionate about when you're not working or uh, working on anything healthcare related? What do you do outside? Yeah.
1: So what I, um, so I think where my, my other passion is about, you know, really figuring out what, what creates flow and energy and inspiring others to be their full potential. So I spent a lot of time myself figuring out what creates energetic flow. How to end up at the end of the day with more energy than I started, and so some of that is in figuring out what works and understanding my mindset journey, understanding my health journey, understanding relationships, and putting in a lot of other creative activities that I, frankly, have left um, latent. I love um, creating anything, and so i recently picked up pottery. I'm gonna reteach myself the piano. I, I love anything outdoors, and so that kind of feeds my creative space, and then. Um, really, you know, spending also a lot of time and, um, and understanding what that looks like in those other areas of my life as well to reimagine um, where energy is a, a, and that your attention is a limited and finite resource and how to um, think about that differently mm-hmm. to unlock uh, my full potential. I think uh, I've been through burnout mm-hmm. several times and uh, you don't go through burnout several times without realizing how can I not get here again? And so I am super passionate about really dialing yeah. that in about how to actually think differently, how to live differently, how to think differently, and, and really make that transition from being a human doer to being a human being.
0: Yeah, I love it. I, I I do, too. I try to find that flow. And I, I do. I, I run. I work out. I'm avid at all of that. But I find that um like pausing in the day when my kids are around and hearing their giggles or them giving me a hug is like takes that like uh battery and just like boosts it up so much more than um my run or or something like that and so pausing each day to help them uh and and just laugh with them and listen to their you know we'd call them crazy questions but they're like, full-on serious about it, you know, like, why is the sky blue? And the other day, they asked me why we live in Portsmouth, which is, you know, near the ocean, and they wanted to know why the seagulls poop white, and I'm like, good question. I have no idea why their poop is white. <laughs> like, we need to Google that, and I'm, like, just laughing, you know. Um, it just makes it so much fun.
1: Um, if we could only, yeah, if we can only channel kids' curiosity, um, and I think, you hit on exactly that. If we can do more activities in our day that bring us energy, and put more of those in, and titrate back or delegate out those those areas that don't, that's I think where we're able to leverage what that you know that goal, you know that magical happiness place that we all seem you know we all want to be in every moment of the day. And nobody nobody ever told me how amazing it would be to have my kids make each other laugh. And that's been the same since they were, you know, when they're toddlers up until now when they're preteens, I, I, the same, I just sit in the other room sometimes. And just, I just, that's when I'm the happiest when I hear them make each other laugh. And it's just, it never ceases to bring me joy.
0: Yeah. The giggles that they have, and you know, like the regular giggles, but then they're like, we're kind of getting into mischief giggles. And I, those are my favorite, although I can't ever tell them that, <laughs> I, I hear that a lot of empathy from you. I think that is one of your superpowers. But I always ask everybody what they think their superpower is that they give out to the world. So what would you think your superpower yeah. is? I am a very
1: empathetic leader. And again, I think as a nurse, you can't take that out of me. But I will say that I would describe my superpower as being a visionary, being able to see what hasn't been created yet in the future and taking the existing resources and connecting the dots in different ways to create new and novel either whether it be models of care or ideas to transform the world. So that's my superpower.
0: I love it, I love it. Well, Stacey, thank you so much for spending some time today. I can't wait to follow and connect with you more on your next adventure. And we will be in touch soon. Thank you so much, Rebecca. Great to be on your podcast.
1: Thanks for tuning into The Verge Podcast. Brought to you by Divergent, a leading healthcare IT consulting firm. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to hit the follow button to stay up to date with the latest IT developments and the exciting ways tech is transforming healthcare today.